Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, tennis fans, and welcome to episode 25 of The Passing Shot. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the passing shots your tennis catch-up podcast i'm kim the self-confessed queen of clay and once again i'm joined by my brilliant co-host and fellow superfan joel aka the wandering wildcard so today on the passing shot we'll be discussing the highlights of the last week on tour from sao paulo dubai acapulco it goes on and on doesn't it joel <laughs> It does, Kim. Uh, how are you? How are you doing? Yeah, it's been been a really great week, hasn't it? Lots of lots of milestones happening. Lots of entertaining matches. A lot of talking points have happened in the space of seven days. You know, we've had Dubai, Acapulco. Obviously, we're gearing up for the Indian Wells Miami double, and you know, a lot of players are using these tournaments to you know fine tune their game before they head to the hard courts of the United States. Yeah, it's been quite an intri- it's quite an intriguing time of year, isn't it? Um we've had AO that sort of seems quite a while ago now and it's kind of yeah, going on to the Indian Wells Miami kind of double hard court masters swing. Um I love the mixed tournaments as well. So um and we've had a mixed tournament in Acapulco this week. So that's been a re- a really good tournament actually. I think we should start there, don't you think? Cuz um this tournament hasn't really been that much on my radar, but it's got a really, really high caliber of players, both in the men's you know, and women's game. And yeah, I've been very impressed with what I've seen from that tournament this week. Well, Kim, I thought you were naturally going to love it because Rafael Nadal um, <laughs> is, was playing it. He was, uh, he was top seed, wasn't he? He was, yeah. And um, he was progressing nicely in round one. And then he fell by the wayside in the second round, which uh, we will get onto in just a moment. <laughs> but I think we should just start with, who won the title might be the obvious place to start. So Nick Kyrgios suddenly kind of comes out of of nowhere. Um, He hasn't done an awful lot. I think it's been 13 months since he reached a final on the circuit. I think he was also, he was two and three going into the tournament as well. This year, yeah. So he's had a pretty dreadful run of form. Everyone was, you know, lamenting like, what is going on with Nick Kyrgios? And even this week, you know, he's had a few injuries some cramps, potential food poisoning. I don't know. I think in... Lots of knee tape. Yeah, exactly. And he said he was going to, uh, you know, he was thinking of retiring in, in the match against Rafa in the second round, but he carried on, ended up winning, ended up winning the tournament, beating Rafa Nadal, Stan Wawrinka, John Isner and Sasha Zverev. So not your everyday, like he's had to beat <laughs> some fab players to get the title. I mean, I don't, think anyone really saw him winning it but I mean it's a lot of you know his fans if you like really happy that he's he's kind of 
showing his best again and doing what we know he's capable of. What do you, what do you think? I mean, it, it's frustrating, isn't it, when you know he is a player that has amazing talent but just never really manages to put it together consistently. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a great run to the final and to win the tournament, he's almost kind of proved his, you know, he's proving his critics wrong. I think, as you said, consistency for him is the key. And, you know, I think going into the match, it's like great to kind of see him you know, pull off a really entertaining, I mean, for me, probably one of the matches of the, matches of the season so far against uh, Rafael Nadal in the second round but to kind of then then come back out again going through all of that um, putting all of that energy all of that commitment in that second round match to do it again against Vavrinka and then Isner and then Zverev yeah he kind of really kind of focused you know for to, you, know, sub, you know consecutive days as opposed to like the odd point here and there Yes. I mean, he actually, yeah, it's the first time that he has defeated two top three players in the same tournament. So that just goes to show that he's not really, you know, when he has won titles, he's he's not really had to, you know, consistently beat the top guys. And, you know, when he's had big wins in slams, it's kind of like he's not (laughs) managed to back that up. So it'll be interesting to see what (laughs) what happens with him. I mean, he provided us with with a lot of controversial moments throughout the tournament. I mean, one of them, which I quite which I quite enjoyed hearing was in his his post-match interview after he beats Zverev. He said that three hours before his match, he was jet skiing. So (laughs) (laughs) is that true? Yeah, it's true. So, you know, some players, you know, they might be, you know, might have an ice bath. Preparing, yeah. Look at (laughs) tactics. Oh, no, no, I'll just go out and do some jet skiing. So, uh... What if he'd, like, broken his leg and, you know, had to phone up the tournament director? I'm really sorry, <laughs> but I'm not going to be able to play the final tonight, you know. Oh, wow. Okay, well, maybe that, you know, got his adrenaline going yeah, for the final. But, um, the, one of the biggest talking points on, I noticed on Twitter was in the Nadal match, and I know we have differing views on this, Kim, is mm. he busted out an underarm serve against Rafa, and, you know, I think some of the crowd loved it, some of the crowd were booing it. And everyone in Twitter was kind of exploding. So like some people saying, oh, he can't do that. That's against the, the laws of the game. That's bad sportsmanship. He's got no respect for his opponents. But then I think other people were kind of like, well, you know, if you actually looked on the TV screen and actually looked at how far back Nadal was standing. Yeah. You know, I think some people almost saw it. Actually, that's a legitimate tactic. Well, it's not actually illegal, is it, to do an underarm serve? It's just one of those kind of things that, people just don't do like in a sort of moral sense so for me I I did think it was I want to say I want to use the word underhand in terms of like it's a bit it was a bit fishy I I I do think it lacks respect because regardless of how far back Rafa's standing I just think you know no player is really expecting the opponent to serve underarm it's just not a done thing to so to suddenly throw it in there I mean it wasn't correct me if I'm wrong but it wasn't you know at a really crucial point was it it wasn't sort of you know right at the end with the match points or anything yeah, it wasn't a crucial it wasn't a crucial moment and actually the, the underarms have went out it didn't actually lead to anything <laughs> but i think you know i think actually if other i think other players will take note and it will be interesting to see you know in indian wells in miami if you know if nadal continues particularly against like big servers you know if he comes up against kevin anderson or john isner whether they might try this sort of thing have has almost yeah. curious like opened up 
like some ideas to other players in how to kind of gain an advantage. A naughty advantage. I, yeah. I hope not because I do think it's it's a bit low uh, for me. I mean, Rafa himself said in his post-match interview, Kyrgios is not a bad guy, but lacks a little respect on court. And I would have to agree. I do think, you know, Kyrgios has shown this before. He's He's been quite controversial. And for me, he's kind of not someone I can easily warm to just because of like the history of, of things that he's kind of done, which I think do lack respect. And you may, may call me bitter, the fact that Rafa <laughs> lost the match, but I do think the underarm serve was a bit too far. And I don't want players to suddenly start doing it because I just think it's, okay, it might provide a bit of drama, stuff, something to talk about on Twitter, but I just think it's it's not in the sort of spirit of the of the game that I like to see. For me, anyway. Well, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it, Kim. I, I love to you? see. Okay. Yeah, I love to see these <laughs> sorts of things. So, you know, I'm going to be, I can't wait. If Hopefully that Nadal and Kyrgios will meet again some point soon. And first point, I want to see, I want to see that underarm serve. I want to see that yeah. underarm serve. Set the tone oh. for the match. I mean, I want to see Rafa being more aggressive and not standing so far back. Because when he's done better or, you know, he's always, he always does better when he's, you know, not so far back and getting getting closer and being more attacking. So I don't know. We'll we'll see. But I guess um, it, it does maybe it's maybe it's pointed out to Rafa that he was being a bit too defensive in that situation. Annoyingly, Rafa has a pretty awful record in matches that have gone past six games all in the final set since 2016. He's actually only won one of those matches, and that was against Dominic Team. But yeah, he's actually lost an awful lot of you know, close matches um, in the final set. Obviously, Djokovic last year at Wimbledon instantly springs to mind. So Rafa needs to work on his, like, deciding final moments, closing matches. Because, you know, he had three match points in in the Kyrgios match in Acapulco. So that was frustrating, to say the least, for uh, Rafa fans around the world. Yeah, and I guess, yeah, I think... For me, it was a really interesting t- statistic that I saw through the last 12 months, actually. So John Isner is, in the in terms of the ATP top 50, he has the lowest percentage of return points won at 29.2%. Uh, that's Kier- why all his... Sorry, that's why all his bloody sets go to tie breaks because <laughs> he doesn't know how to re- well, break serve. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Kyrgios is very, uh, very kind of very close to that 29% as well so you know there is obviously there's still things that you know he can work on in his game and to think that he just won Acapulco beating all to all those players with a you know return mm. points one of you know 29% less than 30% it's it's clear that there's obviously room for improvement room for development and if he you know if he finally if he finally maybe maybe possibly brings a coach brings an actual coach on you know onto his uh onto his team maybe that'll help him develop some tools that will actually really push him you know not just not just us talking about him in a in a 500 in mexico but in the masters events and in the grand slams as well yeah exactly and and talking about the coach i think zverev in his post-match speech kind of made reference to um to the two guys in Kyrgios's box and he was sort of like I would say thank you to like you know your box but you've only got two people there and I don't know what they're doing <laughs> there sort of it was quite a witty speech so yeah I completely agree if he you know he said it himself if he was more disciplined more dedicated 
he would be um, doing better, <laughs> I think. So we'll see what he does from here. In other news in Acapulco, we'll kind of cover this a bit more in our British uh, players, Brits on Tour section. But Cam Norrie got to the semi-finals, which was unexpected. So we'll we'll cover that a bit later. But great to see a British player doing so well in Acapulco. Uh, we also had, as I said, that was a joint tournament. So we had the WTA event in Acapulco, which was won by Wang Yafan, who is the world number 65. She was in her first WTA final and she beat Sophia Kennan uh, in three sets. So, you know, she kind of came back from, well, she was 6-2-2 love down and then came back to to win her first title so i mean i personally haven't seen much of wang yafan not sure about you joel but you know to kind of come through unseeded and who knows win maybe i'll be a yafan uh when i oh when I, god <laughs> when i when yafan. i watch her play in, in the future but uh yeah, yeah that was uh obviously a name i'm not completely familiar with but uh you know good good for her kenin obviously is a you know a riser and an american who yeah. has got a who's got a good game. I, I know that she took out, she took out Azarenka earlier on in the tournament, yeah. in a very, very yeah. tight three set match. And I was, I was kind of looking at that draw because I noticed Azarenka, one of my, one of my favorite players on the, on the WTA tour, she absolutely crushed her first two opponents. And I thought there was a little opening there for her to, to get to the final and kind of get some momentum behind her. Um, but yeah, she just came up short against Kenin, I think in the, Either in the third round or in the, in the quarterfinals or whatever, but yeah, because um, Kenin beat uh, Bianca Andreescu in the semis, another up and coming player from this year, um, and Don- Donna Vekic has also been doing fairly well, I think, of late. She got to the semis, so yeah, good to see some sort of some of the you know women on the on the rise progressing and carrying on their run of form this year, and we'll see what Wang Yafan goes on to do um, in Indian Wells and beyond. Yeah, and, and of course, um, Conta, Conta also played in Acapulco, and we'll uh, we'll also discuss that in in Brits on Tour. But Absolutely. first of all, we will move on from Acapulco. We will move from Acapulco to Dubai, another ATP 500, another kind of warm up event for those going across to to Indian Wells. And I think the main kind of storyline here, Roger Federer, will he? Finally, will he finally get his hundredth title? Uh, been stuck on ninety nine for, uh, for for quite a while, I think. Um, probably a bit longer than he he would have liked. And there was uh, there were lots of there was a lots of um, a lot of high high profile players there. There was Federer, who was number two seed. Nishikuri was number one seed, and then you had uh, Sissipas, Medvedev, Raonic, Chorich. Isn't it shocking that Nishikuri was seeded higher than Federer? <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think so anymore. But um, yeah, we what we had happened was actually a lot of the top seeds, bar Federer, actually crashing out in the in the early stages of the tournament. Nishikuri went out in round two, Silic in round one, Kachanov, who was the fourth seed in round one, Raonic and Medvedev, who you know we've talked about as being one of the form players this season so far. Lost in straight sets to Richard Barankis. Uh, so Richard Barankis. Yep. Wow, what a name. <laughs> so there was, um, yeah, quite a few of the big names that I expect, you know, the organisers were hoping to go a bit further, actually kind of, yeah, crashing out. And I think obviously the biggest, the biggest surprise probably was, um, you know, Bar Medvedev, Nishikuri went out to 
Hubert Hakash, Hakash, maybe I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Kim, I hold my hold my hand up now from Poland. <laughs> Polish player, yeah. yeah. <laughs> first, who got his first top ten win there? So he um, obviously he was very elated with that. But um, going into the kind of the the semi finals, we had a couple of really tasty tasty matchups on pace, paper. First one was Monfils, who probably actually is another one of the the form players at the moment versus Sissipas. Very entertaining match. Monfils on an eight-match winning streak. Sissipas on a seven-match winning streak. They played really, really good, uh, really good match with with Sissipas. Sissipas prevailing um, in a in a final set tiebreak, seven four, seven four in like a kind of three-hour epic. So um, he booked his spot in the in the final. And yeah, he went on to face Roger Federer. Rematch, rematch from Australian yes. Open. Mm. Bit different though to the AO, wasn't it? Federer came through pretty nicely in straight sets, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in um, in straight sets. I mean, I think Dubai is actually up there in terms of, you know, tournaments that, that Federer really likes to play. I actually saw a st- statistic that was Federer has actually become the first player to make at least 10 finals in five different tournaments and Dubai is on there with Halla. Kim could you name the three others oh uh well Wimbledon <laughs> yeah oh gosh Federer probably the world tour finals because yep. he's won that an awful lot and got to a few finals oh the other one I don't know give me a clue <laughs> uh, his, his hometown oh Oh, yeah. yes, he does play that, doesn't he? That's in like October. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, Federer tournaments. Yeah, so the Federer came through. Yeah, pretty. It was yeah pretty comfortably in the end, and uh, has now got a hundred hundred titles, which That's is crazy. absolutely mind blowing. Again, so he's just the second player, isn't he, in the Open era to have won one hundred titles? Because actually, Jimmy Connors has one hundred and nine. So I bet most. Most people would probably think Federer has the most, but he doesn't. Yeah, but we'll, <laughs> obviously but... Federer's titles are of more significance, uh, you know, slams and everything. But do you could you see Jimmy Connors. him? What do you reckon? One hundred and ten? Do you think Federer could eclipse it? Why not? I mean, he could just go and play like some two fifties, you know, rack off a few wins if if he was struggling, you know, to get the higher higher ranked tournaments. Um, yeah, I certainly think he could. Barring any serious injuries, you know, he's been pretty lucky so far in his career. I love in that. Terms of injury. Kim, I love that strategy. Just enter some like budget <laughs> ATP 250, like in Marrakesh or something. Or Yeah. Um, well, you know, not, I'm not being rude or denying the integrity of 250s. But, you know, if he was sort of number crunching, thinking, hmm, I really need to get 10 more. Uh, he might, you know, maybe plan his, his schedule a bit differently. Um, but yeah. Federer will now be going up to number four in the world uh, after picking up his 500 points in Dubai. So that will mean that Federer will not have to play either Novak or Rafa until at least the semis of Indian Wells. So, and interestingly, talking about Novak and Rafa, Rafa's on 80 titles, Novak's on 73. And I I mean, do you think either of them will get to 100 or could get to 100 I as think- well? I actually think I think Novak not only could he get to a hundred, I actually think he could overtake Federer mm. all time. Yeah, because he, I think his in terms of his schedule, I think obviously he plays quite consistently throughout the whole year. Whereas kind of with 
uh, like you know Nadal and Federer. I think they pick and choose a bit more. So I think, yeah, for me, I think certainly, yes, at the moment, let's all bask in the greatness that Federer has reached the century of titles. But I don't think that Novak Novak is is too far behind. You know, Nadal also. You know, he could just play the next 20 French Opens and, you know, <laughs> probably win them all. So <laughs> Till he's like 52 or something. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll have that. Yeah, I mean, let's go back to Sitsipas as well. He's now in the top 10. So he's he's finally debuted in uh, the... Debuted? Is that even a word? Is it <laughs> debuted? I think it's debuted, isn't debuted. it? Debuted. <laughs> debuted. It's been a long a great day. word. It has been a long day. <laughs> so, yeah, he's cracked the top 10, which is well-deserved. He's had a sort of pretty epic run of form of late. Finalists in Dubai, won Marseille, semi-finals, Australian Open. He won the next gen, won Stockholm. The list goes on. So, you know, he's definitely going to, I think, stay in the top 10 for a little bit and uh, go up from there. But I think... Kim, obviously he's he's now reached the top ten. How far up the top ten do you think he could go? Could he get to number one? Could he get to the top? Yeah, maybe not right. Maybe not this year or next year. Maybe, maybe I think you know he's going to have to wait for like Novak to disappear first <laughs> at the moment. But I mean, to be fair, he's got he doesn't really have any points to defend, does he? From the clay season. So he can certainly, I think, I'm not sure of the actual like numbers involved at the moment on the rankings, but I could certainly see him being like top five by sometime in the summer. If that's, I don't know, I, that might be being too ambitious, but you know, it's, it's exciting. It's really exciting to see how, what he's going to do. So we'll see, but yeah, finally in the top 10, let's go on to Sao Paulo. So Talking of ATP 250s, uh, this is probably a tournament Federer hasn't played, but um, Sao Paulo, we have had, this is part of our South American golden swing. Love it. That we love to talk about. <laughs> and um, <laughs> interesting, interestingly, one of the kind of, I don't know, most notorious players of that golden swing, Guido Payer, he has finally won his first ATP title by beating Christian Garin in straight sets to win the Sao Paulo tournament. So great for Guido Payer. I remember he was, um, he lost in that final to Londero. Mm. Yeah, our only favourite player. We predicted it, you correctly, <laughs> myself <laughs> yes. wrongly. I but know. he obviously so, didn't have um, to wait. He didn't have to wait too long to uh, no, to get his maiden yeah. title. So good for him. Uh, I personally, I've I, I've never heard of Christian Garin. I I don't. I'm nowhere supposed to be like super fans, but going to be honest here, I had not heard of him. He's like Chile's next big thing after Fernando Gonzalez and Nicolas Masu. Yeah, but he's just not been on my radar at all. So I I do apologise, Chilean fans. Um, but. <laughs> He's only had two wins on the ATP tour, so maybe that's why I hadn't really heard of him. I don't know. I found this stat. It says, at the age of 16, Christian Garin picked up his first win at the 2013 Vina Del Mar tournament against Dusan Lajovic. Not sure what happened to him. Before, Garin claimed his second victory, oh, at the Argentina Open last month. So he's had to wait six years between wins on the ATP circuit. So he's obviously been dominating challengers, I'm imagining, in the meantime. But, um, yeah, Guido Payer won. We also, in this tournament, we saw a rematch of the uh, Lajlo Jair versus Felix Auger-Aliassime 
um, rematch, which was the final last week of the... Oh, God, was it the Buenos Aires tournament? That was from the, yeah, that was in Buenos Aires, yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, we saw a rematch and Laszlo Jair won it again uh, and then lost in the semis to Guido Peyer. So interesting that, you know, both Felix Auger Aliassime and Laszlo Jair, they kind of have been continuing their their run of form on the Golden Swing as well. And their well. rivalry, it seems. Yeah, this could be the new <laughs> Fedal, you know. <laughs> Jer versus Ojer. It's what they want. It's what the people want, Kim. It's what the people it want. It is, isn't it? Second time in six days they faced off. So, and actually, Laszlo Jer, he, um, he, well, he's very close to breaking the top 30. I think if he had won the semi final, then he would have broken the top 30. So, you know, a new Serbian that we are going to be watching more and more of. So, we also had a WTA tournament happening. In Indian Wells, so it's like a kind of lower ranked event. Um, it's a 125k series event, and it's actually run alongside a, a male challenger, the Oracle Challenger, which we'll discuss um, in Brits on Tour. But uh, we've actually, as we're recording this, Victoria Golubic of Switzerland, uh, she's actually won the final against uh, American player Jennifer Brady, 6-3 in the third set. So Golly Bitch, I think that's her second WTA title. She's she's only 103 in the world. So not particularly, she was only like the 14th seed in this tournament, but she actually beat one of our faves, Quang Wang, in the semifinal, um, who was the number one seed. So um, an interesting, interesting final out in Indian Wells. She's um she's actually eight and three for victories this, this year, Golly Bitch. So she's having a pretty good um run of form yeah so, to I mean, beat an american a beat american home at home turf, turf yeah. as well absolutely so yeah and uh talking of um the oracle challenger i think that brings us nicely into our brits on tour section because as we're recording this carl edmund is in a final way <laughs> yeah i uh i'm kind of really excited i was really excited to watch kind of i was watching a bit of the the matches on streams uh, this week because Dan Evans and Carl Edmund both in uh, both in one in the top half one in the bottom half I I just felt it was they were I just felt it was destiny Kim that they were going to meet mm. each other in in the final and it was very close it was very close happening I know Dan lost to Andre Rublev in the semis very didn't tough he? very tough semi-final final. I mean mm. that's like a I mean that really is a two kind of that's a that's a main tour level match yeah, I mean, I've definitely. seen Rublev at the US Open, and he is a a fiery player, and he he I think he must be coming back from injury and kind of easing himself back in because, you know, these are I think you know Carl Edmund, Dan Evans, Rublev, these are players that yes they're playing this Indian Wells Challenger, but realistically they'll be back on the the main circuit in the in the uh, yeah well, very we hope soon so. this season. It's kind of- I guess for Carl, it's a bit of a like a rehab tournament, isn't it? He's sort of coming back and just, I guess, wants matches and wins, which he's getting. So he's playing Rublev. Uh, they're just about to to kick off. So fingers crossed, Kyle will bring some British success. Uh, but yeah, it's great to see Dan as well, you know, carrying on his run of form from the Challenger final last week as well. So onwards and upwards for Dan. Let's hope he can keep that momentum going. So Cam Norrie in Acapulco, he, as we mentioned earlier, got to the semi-finals, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, he had some pretty decent wins, beat Mackenzie McDonald, Diego Schwartzman, Nishioka, 
Japanese player. And then he eventually lost to Sasha Zverev uh, in straight sets in the semis. So really good, solid week from Cam, you know, building on the final he got to in Auckland at the start of the year. And um, yeah, really positive to see him getting so far. Yeah, I just hope that he can kind of continue that form going into Indian Wells and, and Miami and, and get some get some you know more decent wins under his belt because yeah, taking out Schwartzman, you know, that's a that's a very good win. I think Schwartzman was a little bit injured in that match, but he obviously was able to kind of take advantage of that and you know that kind of taking out the fourth seed it almost opened up the draw for him you know the match against Mackenzie McDonald in the third round I think that was a big opportunity I think I think both of them kind of watching the highlights it was almost like they both sensed that was a big opportunity for them to kind of reach a, a semi-finals at, at a 500 and, and Norrie was able to kind of put McDonald to the sword took him out 6-3-6-2 and yeah, great kind of learning experience to to face Sasha Zverev in a, in a in the semi-finals. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Uh, so arguably our well most successful singles player, Cam, this week. Um, well, I mean, Kyle might win the Oracle Challenger. Well, hopefully, we'll see. Uh, Joe Conda also in Acapulco. She lost in the quarterfinals to Donald Vekic. So you know, got a few wins under her belt. Um, and she seems to be playing Vekic all the time. Like they've got a pretty good little rivalry going on. They, you know, they've had some really close matches, haven't they? Well, they had that. Um, they had that epic at Wimbledon. Match Wimbledon, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this one wasn't quite so epic. Joe lost in straight sets, but um, and she also was in the doubles. Also lost in the quarters um, of that. Casey Balter was also in Acapulco, but um, I'm assuming she picked up an injury because she had to retire. That six four four one down in her second round match, um, which she retired against the eventual finalist Sophia Kenin. So, a bit of a shame she had to to go out that way. But once again, our doubles players have been, you know, providing some solid form on the tour. So Luke Bambridge and Johnny O'Mara, they uh, they lost in the Sao Paulo final uh, straight sets to Del Bonis and Gonzalez. Um, but, you know, another really solid week from them. But Joe Salisbury, um, he has won the Dubai doubles with Rajiv Ram. So that's their first ATP tour level title um, as a team. So absolutely fantastic for Joe. And uh, yet yeah, more doubles success for the Brits. I mean, Kim, the, the more we talk about Joe Salisbury, I feel like it's inevitable he's going to be called up to the, the Davis Cup squad at some yeah, point. Yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't as of yet, has he? He hasn't actually... He- could he play debuted. with Jamie Murray? Could, is that a team, do you think? Jamie Murray and, and Joe Salisbury? Is that a... I don't see why not. Yeah. Um, I don't think they've... I've never seen them play together. But, I mean, why not? We've got so many to choose from. It's quite a nice situation to be in, isn't it? But if, if Joe continues, you know, with his form and get, get, getting titles, then then I think, you know, he's absolutely should be considered. Yeah. Um, but, think, yeah. yeah. I remember watching him in challenges years and years ago. Um you know, so it's nice to see him actually having success on, you know, on the the main tour at a higher level. Yeah, so some excellent play from our doubles players this week. And I think that kind of wraps it up for Brits on tour. So we can now move on to scoreboard stories. And I think, Kim, you know, Acapulco was almost a Nick, Nick Kyrgios show. So I'm going to have to bring out a statistic from his match against Nadal because... I think if you look at the statistics without knowing who, which, who was which, you would have said 
you probably would have picked Nadal to to have won it because this week's scoreboard stories, uh, I'm going to tell you some statistics. Nadal won 10 more points than Kyrgios. He generated 10 break points. He only faced and saved one break point. And perhaps the most damning statistic of all, Nadal hit 17 unforced errors. Kyrgios hit 49 Oh, painful. <laughs> and, 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 and as you said earlier, he held a triple match point. So all these statistics that seemingly say that you know, Nadal should have won the match, but the key statistic of them all, the scoreboard doesn't lie. And uh, Kyrgios came through 3-6, 7-6, 7-6. So it just, shows, just goes to show you that no matter what you can read into statistics, it's the, it's the score that counts and... Yeah, Kyrgios was able to kind of to pull it off seemingly with all of these kind of, uh, you know, even though he was kind of hemorrhaging points through unforced errors and, and whatnot. I blame it on the underarms. Uh, I think, you know, it's clearly all because of that. <laughs> no, um, yeah, it just goes to show that the you can have the solidest game like on serve and, you know, be really... I don't know, controlled and tight and, you know, and win more points, but still lose. And it's it's another sort of quirky nature of tennis, isn't it? But frustrating for Rafa. I mean, we're all banging about Nick Kyrgios, but if Rafa had just won that match, we'd be like, oh, yeah, Kyrgios out in second round, standard. But, you but know. now we're potentially so. talking about, I think, Kim, you know, we've got statistics around like first serve percentage in. Are we eventually going to have underarm first serve percentage in you know these are <laughs> these are key questions that might have to come up later on thanks to you know thanks to this debate that uh Kyrgios has, has stirred in this match well it might you know save the shoulder joint a bit going on <laughs> underarm so maybe you know we're talking about longevity of players here maybe maybe it will be a good thing um but yeah uh another exciting scoreboard story thanks joel and uh we'll put (laughs) Um, the we'll put the statistic on our instagram page as always so uh if you want to follow at passing shot pod on instagram you can see all our kind of quirky stats on there including this one from nick kyrgios indeed uh so that brings us on to the wild card section where we discuss all and sundry from the world of tennis got a, a, a couple of things to cover some coaching announcements so Naomi Osaka we were discussing on last episode that she you know had split from Sasha Bayan she's now hired Jermaine Jenkins who is the former hitting partner of Venus Williams and they will be working together ahead of Indian Wells which you know she's going into that as the defending champion not to mention the new world number one. No pressure. So, no pressure, Jermaine. Um, yeah, no pressure, <laughs> Jermaine. Yeah. Um, and David Goffan as well has announced that he is back with Thomas Johansson. So I wonder if we'll see a bit of a Goffan revival coming on with that partnership. Some other news, injury news. Del Potro is out of Indian Wells. He's the defending champion. He beat Federer there, didn't he, in the final last year? Great final. Exciting. Yeah, Yeah, great, great tournament, great match for him. But unfortunately, as per the Del Potro story, injury has really sadly head again. Is he going to be fit for Miami? Time will tell, but it feels feels unlikely. Which is a, I don't which know is what a shame. exactly it is this time, but it's just 
one of those you know i've just i don't know how he's managed to keep coming back so much <laughs> i just i think it would just destroy me mentally uh shara pover's also announced that she's out for the next month to have another little procedure on her shoulder uh, and then interestingly we mentioned also in last week's episode about the itf rules the new tour rules that have come into effect um there's a really good article actually on their website if anyone hasn't already taking the time to read it i would recommend doing so but the decision has actually been taken to increase the qualifying draws from 24 to 32 players um you know to just kind of increase that um the likelihood of getting into the draws give more players a chance and that was one of the major criticisms that players had under these new rules that they were limiting the qualifying entry lists for itf tournaments too much so um it's good that they're kind of trying to remedy some of the um errors i guess that were coming into the system as a result of those changes yeah and uh and, and i guess kind of the final point from from the wild card comes from comes from the Halla open who this oh, yeah. week seemingly came from out of nowhere have announced a one tennis point world championship which will take place on sunday 16th of june in Halla during the kickoff weekend and it proposes that there's going to be 1,024, 1,024 players aged 16 plus playing only one point in each match. Uh, coin toss decides who gets to serve return with the last 32 matches taking place on court one. Now, I read this information and, you know, we've we've obviously had the new Davis Cup format come in. There's lots of chat around the Fed Cup, if that's going to be reformed. And, you know, I was always thinking one tennis point world championship if that came to the atp tour if that came to the wta tour who would you have your money on kim oh blimey well it depends <laughs> doesn't it if it's a serve or a return like if it was serve obviously i'd probably say john isner or like i don't know riley apelka or <laughs> just a massive server but if it was a return I don't know. Well, who's I mean, got the best of both? Who's got the well, best of both Novak, games? probably. That's why it's the world number one. So <laughs> but it's one, I, one point. <laughs> I know. But I don't know. Probability-wise, um, I'd I, say I'm going to be diplomatic and say Djokovic. However, I mean, I'd love to just... I don't know. I guess that, that would suit someone who's exciting from the word go or who would do something radical in just one point. So I don't know. Kyrgios could go in and just do an underarm serve. <laughs> Or double, fault, favorite or, thing. Double or, on his, on or, or double fault on the floor. Oh, yeah, double fault. I don't know. Someone like Fabio Fognini might be quite exciting for like one point. He could just like sweep on, you know, and then sweep off again. I I mean, I, like, for me, around for me the in court. the men's, if this was a men's tournament, I would go Kevin Anderson. I think he would have oh, the best of both worlds, I think. And I think he'd be pretty good at a coin toss as well. I think, you know, <laughs> he knows his heads from his tails. and uh, got a robust coin toss. And he toss. can back it up with a, with a strong serve and a strong return as well. Oh, yeah, would you like a bit of Kevin Anderson? What about the uh, WTA then? Who, oh, who would you have? I, Serena Williams yeah, for I the think, serve. Yeah. I mean, maybe just for the return as well. I can see her just bashing a return back. Um, yeah. Um... Maybe Kerber. I feel like Kerber. I feel like Kerber is kind of like mentally resilient, and she can kind of focus and reset herself after every one-point match. Um, so I, I think I'd, I'd go Kerber. But uh... if you'd have to do a statistic of like who wins, like the first point of every match, like 
who, who is the player that has won the most first points in the match? Because that's who you'd want, isn't it? I wonder if there is any statistics around that. I mean, could you see this quite actually happening? I quite like the idea of it. <laughs> but it's only for like kids, right? I this, think so. Uh, yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. It's just kind of, a, you know, as I said, part of their kind of kickoff weekend to get everyone. I mean, as many people it's like involved playing... as possible. Yeah, it is a good idea and it's quite fun to watch, I'm sure. It's like playing round the world, you know, with um, table tennis. Have you ever done that in a bar? You just yeah. sort of hit and then go round. And so a bit, bit more different on a tennis court. But yeah, why, why not? Anyone in Halle on the 16th of June, let us know how it goes. I don't know if it'll be televised. So might have to rely on Twitter for that one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that kind of wraps up our the wildcard section. Um, we are recording this with Indian Wells, obviously, and Miami coming up. Um, as part of our schedule for listeners, the Indian for Indian Wells will be doing a special preview episode like we did for the Australian Open. So we'll hopefully be getting out a recording that previews the men and women's draws, which happen uh, early next week. And we'll be getting out an episode to you, hopefully on Wednesday or Thursday, that yeah, kind of previews the tournament, what we're kind of most looking forward to, what are the matchups that excite us most. Um, so we look forward to kind of sharing that with you. And we'll also be recording another episode of the Passing Shot Extra Slice about player pronunciations. It's a, a key theme in terms of feedback that we get. So we're going to be addressing it head on in a special episode to come at a later date. Yep, because we can't pronounce anyone's names correctly. So actually, if any of you guys have any feedback on our inability to say names let us know so we can look into how we should be saying them so before we go um just checking the live scores for kyle edmund's final in the oracle challenger he's just gone four one up against Rublev. so fingers crossed he can actually win the title because i remember on last week's episode dan evans was in the middle of his final in delray beach and he went on to lose that after having match points so hopefully kyle will not go down the same route uh but if you guys uh could all just remember to subscribe like share rate the podcast um tell all your friends leave a comment let us know what you think um so you can keep up to date with everything that we're putting out and you can let other people know who will also enjoy catching up on the world of tennis um i've been kim and i'm joel and we are the passing short so um thank you for listening and see you next time